Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. What is the Internet of Things? Well, millions of people have digital assistance in their lives. What does this mean in terms of privacy and even safety? Well, we're going to get some answers. Our guest today is Stacy Gray. She's the policy counsel for the Future of Privacy Forum. And you might say that she's a privacy guru and uh, knows what she's talking about. Stacy, welcome to A Consuming Interest. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, this is going to be a fun discussion because I think that... Uh, First off, the statistics are a little startling, the number of devices that are in people's homes that can actually some of them are always listening, always recording, reporting to the Internet as to what's going on around you, your life, etc. So tell me, first off, when we talk about the Internet of Things, which is a term, Stacy, I have to admit that I have only been familiar with for a fairly short time. Explain it to our listeners. Sure. Well, the Internet of Things is actually a pretty recent term. It's only maybe 15 to 17 years old. It really originally arose to describe putting sensors in everyday objects to get information about the physical world. This was really important for retailers to track objects, for example. But today, it really applies to almost everything that is connected to the Internet and gathering information. So that, uh, for most people conclude almost anything from their refrigerator to their washing machine to sometimes their children's toys. Maybe they have a connected thermostat to control the temperature in the home to when you're, when you're gone or when you're present. Mm-hmm. Right? So almost everything that we interact with today uh, at home, at work, out in the world is connected to the Internet today in some, in some way. Wow, that's amazing because somewhere somebody is recording everything that's going on. Um, okay, How- I, I'm almost don't even know how to start to get my arms around this subject because there's so many issues I think that are that are evolving and going to be rather significant because I read somewhere that the penetration of um, all these active assistants is probably going to be somewhere around ninety percent in in just a few years, um, and now it's what what do you know what the penetration is in the general population? I don't, but I'd be surprised if even any of your listeners either don't have uh, an IoT-type device in their home today or don't know someone who does. I mean, it's really, it's really become very common. And um, at the individual level, when you're talking about a smart home, um, there really are a tremendous amount of benefits. It's really nice to be able to modulate your energy consumption, for example, to really save on the energy bill because you can modulate the temperature when you're not there or to have your washing machine send you a text message when it's finished or, uh, you know, any of the sort of million other things that you can do with IoT devices. In fact, one of my colleagues here at Future Privacy Forum recently had um, a fire in her home and was able to respond very, very quickly and and end up uh, saving her dog and Mm. um, preventing damage to the surrounding homes because she had a home security camera that was able to send her a message when she was out of the Mm -hmm. house that something was going on and that she needed to come back. Wow. So there can be really tremendous benefits. Okay, but all of this information is being recorded somewhere. 
And sometimes, well, I would say sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. And, and okay. it can be hard to figure out when it is and, and when it isn't. And then that's sort of the challenge for companies to explain to people when that's happening and for consumers to figure it out, too. Well, and, and to figure out what do they do with that information, that would be, that would be my major concern. Um, okay, let's talk about some of the common devices. Now, I have a smartphone, so I can talk to my smartphone, but it's not always on, and it's not something, unless I turn it on, it's not there listening to me. At least I don't think it is. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it isn't, because um, if I fuss at my husband, I don't want that on the Internet. But at any rate... Um, what would be some of the common devices? Now, you've mentioned some of the things, but, but for example, now a Google has something called Echo. Now, Echo is what I guess is described as a personal assistant. Um, and that, that Echo, which you address, is Alexis. Is that right? Alexa? Yeah, well, there are a couple on the market today. The first one that came out a couple of years ago was the Amazon Echo, Amazon, uh, which okay. I that was really a big deal when that came out because I think it was the first time that most people had seen um, a device like this that you interact with um, only through speaking to it. That was really, really novel at the time. Now, of course, Google has a similar one called the Google Home. Um, Apple is reported to soon be coming out with mm-hmm. one that will be a, a, a sort of speaker slash uh, device that will allow you to connect to the internet. And these devices really, they can do a wide range of things, but the thing that made them kind of different is that instead of typing into a keyboard or, you know, pushing a button, you just speak. And you don't device. even necessarily have to be close. Well, you have to be within voice range, but it's not like you have to press the get device or turn on your computer or anything. Now, there's you spoke recently to the Call for Action conference that was held here in Washington where we brought in our directors from around the country, and they found your presentation one of the most interesting of all, Stacy. You'll be happy to hear that, as I did. Um, you spoke about the three basic types of these devices, these personal assistants, and uh, and you had categorized them. Do you want to give that to us, please? Sure, and and that's great to hear. Thank you. Um, so when I look out into the world of consumer devices that have microphones in them that are designed to allow people to talk to them, which mm-hmm. I think is a really interesting sort of subset of Internet of Things devices, like the Amazon Echo, I really think about it in in three categories. There are sort of more traditional devices that you have to push a button down and speak into the microphone in order to communicate. I think of these like walkie-talkies, but, um, uh, you know, now you have television remotes that do similar things. For example, you'll have a button on a television remote that you push down and speak into it, and you can speak the name of a movie that you want to watch or an actor that you're interested in. And it will connect to the Internet and sort of transmit your request and do the thing that you want it to do, turn the volume up, turn the volume down. And and that's really useful. For most people, speaking is a little bit easier than typing in to something. Especially if you have a disability of some sort. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, if you're visually impaired, for instance, I mean, speaking is just the natural way to communicate. And mm-hmm. it's... You know, some people are saying in, in some instances this is going to replace keyboards altogether for a lot of things. We'll just, we won't even have to type anymore. We'll just talk to our devices. Um, but for today, uh, a lot of these devices still require you to push down a button and, and hold it down and really speak into the microphone. Um, and, then, and, and you call, the, you call those manual. 
yeah, I'd call that manual, right? As long as you have to push a button and speak into it, uh, that I think is its own category of device. And and it's also um, a little bit safer in some respects. You can't turn it on accidentally. You know, you you know you, when you it's know on. when it's when it's doing something to help you. Let's just take yeah. a brief pause here. I can't believe this time is going by so fast. Yeah, and absolutely. let our listeners know that they're tuned in to of consuming interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest today is Stacy Gray. She is the Privacy Council, excuse me, the Policy Council for the Future of Privacy Forum. And she's actually a, a, a lawyer who is very much into privacy rights and implications of all the devices and things that are going coming into our homes these days. Okay, so we're talking about these personal assistants, and you described the one on the manual one where you have to interact with it, physically turn it on before it actually does anything. Now, what, what are the other two categories? Well, an evolution of that that we started to see a couple of years ago um, that is now becoming much more common are these devices that you can just speak to to activate. You don't have to push a button. You don't have to walk over to it and do anything. You can just speak. Um, and that uh, brings just this amazing benefit. You said earlier that these these types of devices are, are beneficial for anyone with a disability mm-hmm. or sort of a physical limitation. That is absolutely true. And it's especially true with devices that now you don't have to walk over and push a button to activate. You can just speak to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of confusion about how these types of devices work. When they first came out, a lot of people were thinking, wait a minute, um, does that mean it's listening all the time, waiting for me to talk to it? And and that can be a source of confusion for a lot of people. But the way most of these devices work is they're processing on the device without sending anything, waiting for you to say a very specific phrase. Uh, so for the Amazon Echo, the wake-up phrase is Alexa. And you say That's why you have to say Alexa before everything that you say to it, because otherwise it's not listening. Mm-hmm. When it detects that specific wake-up phrase or gate phrase, that's when it activates and starts sending data off of the device onto a third-party server or a, a cloud-based server or some where that's where the, the, the external processing mm-hmm. occurs. Okay, and where so, it can, so that's going to send, once you've woken up the device, mm-hmm. it's going to start processing, sending stuff uh, through the Internet to a server somewhere. And w- I'm going to ask you a little bit later what happens to that information, but let's go on to the, the third. Well, finish that, please, and then we'll go to the third device. Sure. Well, that activation point is really, really important because it should only be after you activate the device on purpose that your voice and your commands and your information starts getting sent out to a third party um, to make use of that really powerful cloud processing so it can do the thing that you want it to do, like turn on your lights or get you uh, the news or play a song or something like that. So, so that's very important. Um, and then, of course, there's this whole third category of devices that actually are designed to be always on. Um, home security cameras are a good example of that. Um, home security cameras are usually set up to sit in the corner and be on all of the time um, because that's that's the point of it, right? You leave and, and uh, it keeps running. But those kinds of devices have different privacy implications. They Because they're on all of the time, um, there's this question of whether, well, maybe when you invite your friend over to your house, they should know that... Uh, this device is on and running. Well, I think that that brings up some interesting questions um, for consumers. I certainly would want to know this. 
if I'm going to somebody's house, I want to know if my conversation is being recorded and sent to the internet because I would consider my conversations to be private. So what kind of control does the consumer have, for example? Let's suppose I'm going to somebody's house and they have an already on, always on device that's listening to everything we say. What are my rights and what are their responsibilities? It's a great question, and I think it's one where we're still figuring out some of the norms. You know, people have had security cameras for a long time, but now they're becoming... Uh, much more cloud-based, which means, you know, you can save it on the Internet mm-hmm. and potentially use it later. Um, in, in some places in the United States, in some states, about 10 or 11 of them, uh, you have to tell people before, you, before you're able to record something. You can't record another person's conversation without their consent. Well, there now, are state laws that have to do with recording on the phone. Would yes. those state laws be pertinent to this issue? Sometimes they apply. Most of the time they apply. Sometimes state laws are very specific about, you know, not surveilling someone through a particular method, like on the phone, or, to, mm-hmm. you know, think of the traditional wiretapping laws that came from actually a time when you had to tap into wires in order to record somebody. Well, now, you literally course, had to tap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you literally had to tap, and now we've got our phones and our devices. Um, but just but go a lot out these, there and search and hack and get it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of these laws are still pretty broadly applicable about getting people consent but but then the question is sometimes is what does that consent look like if I'm if I go uh, into your living room Shirley and you have um, a video camera uh, for your home security and you don't tell me about it but it's got a bright flashing red light on it um, you know does that mean that because it was so obvious that I have consented um, and maybe sometimes you don't want a bright flashing red light on your exactly. home security camera right. that doesn't make sense so it's, it's very much still an evolving question. So this, there are a lot of issues that are evolving, I guess, as these devices become, become more common. Um, but right now, it seems to me that they are pretty common. I mean, I was just reading something that um, there's a huge percentage of kids under eight years old who have a tablet that connects to the Internet. Do you know that scares me? I mean, really, um, that's very interesting to me. And maybe there are safeguards built in there that you can can control what your child sees. And I, I don't want to digress into that subject, but that I found that an interesting statistic. It's it's very interesting, and sometimes the implications much be may, may be more broad even than we realize, and more broad mm-hmm. even than than privacy. You know, there are studies about uh, children developing conversational skills, for example, or, oh, or not. Yes developing the right skills because of uh, technology. But, but in general, the question is, how, how, do you, how do you balance? How do you have the right privacy safeguards in place and, and the right laws? Keeping in mind, the laws around data from children are some of the strongest laws yes, that I we know. have in the United know, States. Right? Right. So it's about how do you balance that against all of the benefits that technology mm-hmm. can bring. Okay. So let's go back to the privacy concerns. Okay. So I've gone to somebody's house. And they tell me that they have a, a monitor, a security system that's recording everything we do. Does that record that records voice as well as movement, right? Well, it really it really depends on the individual system and how they've decided oh, okay. to set it up, right? Yeah, it's it's very important to have those kinds of controls and to maybe ask your friend and say, hey, maybe we are not going to have this private conversation uh, in front of this camera. Mm-hmm. I, I, the more interesting question that I get a lot is, um, w- what do you do when you go over to your friend's house and they have something like an Amazon Echo or a Google Home? Mm-hmm. Uh, and when those and if your name really is Alexa, you're going to be in trouble. 
oh, I feel bad for you know, <laughs> whoever was named Alexa, you know, 15 years ago. My goodness. Right. Yeah. Although, you know, as these devices get more sophisticated, they're, they're coming out with different and, and, and more adaptable, customizable words that you can mm-hmm. use instead of Alexa. Instead of the common one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you don't know what that common word is. So, yeah. Um, no, but the, the idea is that with a device like an Echo or a Home, it should always be very clear when it's on and when it's off. And, let's just and take a brief pause here to let our listeners know that they're tuned in to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Stacy Gray. She's the Policy Counsel for the Future of Privacy Forum. And we're discussing the privacy implications of these personal assistants that are becoming so common on the market and are expected to really penetrate the, the marketplace to very significant numbers in a very few years. So you were just saying we were talking about the privacy implications here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the thing that's interesting about these home assistant devices that are activated by voice today, um, the important thing is that people, the user and anyone that you invite into your living room, it should always be very clear to them when the device is on and recording mm-hmm. okay. and when it isn't. And, and that's one of the reasons that these companies incorporate bright lights and sounds and little haptic mm-hmm. signals so that... It's very, very clear once it starts recording, there's a, there's a light. It's not going to be terribly surreptitious so that I, as the third party coming in there, third party, second party being the device. <laughs> so Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. It should always be clear. It, it, they, they want to avoid the possibility of a device, you know, secretly listening in the background. Right. But, but, uh, a lot but of now tell me, the, what, how, how does the consumer, someone who's sitting here listening to this program, and they're thinking, okay, now I've just gotten one of these devices, or I want to get one as a gift, or I'm going to give it one for the holidays, or whatever. Mm-hmm. How do they determine how that data is being used, stored, etc.? Well, the companies that are really leading in this field, the obligation is on them to make it really, really clear if they want people to buy in and to trust these devices. And so far, we've seen people be very good about that. The question for a device like the Amazon Echo, just to take an example, or the Google Home, uh, it, it, when you're thinking about whether you're comfortable with the kinds of data that it might be collecting, the question I think to ask yourself is whether you're comfortable already with the kinds of information um, that Amazon or Google might have. So if you don't already use Amazon, this might be a different question for you, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you do already use it um, and you know that it saves, you know, the things that you've searched for uh, so that it can give you recommendations of things that are like that or, hey, people who... Mm-hmm bought that item also looked for this item, so we're going to show you that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind, of, that kind of recommendation is actually really useful, I think, to most people who oh, use consumers Amazon. Consumers do, yes. They, they like to, I like to shop around. I like to know what's oh, out yeah. there. I like to know what, you know, the, the, the ups and downs of it, how consumers rate it, and so on. And that kind of information is very useful. But at the same time, you're sharing a lot about yourself and your own personal habits. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, in, well, now, what kind of, of what kind of choices do we as consumers have? Either using the devices and accepting what the manufacturer tells us, mm-hmm. the device service provider tells us, or just saying we're not going to use it. Are there is there some in between? 
Well, it, 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 there's a no, range. No, probably. There's, 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 a big, there's a pretty big range uh, in the United States. Um, so it's important to do your research and to mm-hmm. really look at what options you have. So, okay. So for now, what about these, your, your website, Stacey? Do you all have uh, a lot of information on these devices that consumers can go to the website? You know, I'd say we we don't have as much consumer-facing stuff. Uh, Future Privacy Forum works between advocates and industry and academia Mm -hmm. to try to try to bridge the gap and try to create policy solutions in this space. Exactly. But consumers looking for information should look at the material that's published by the company, and Mm -hmm. they should look for information that will be coming soon, we think, from consumer reports on Internet of Things connected devices. Oh, interesting, yes. And more and more will probably start to come out. It can be really hard to determine from the news, for example, what what should be concerning and what should be. Well, you can't, and ads as well. I mean, you're going to have to do some research. You can't just depend on an ad that you read or see or hear. Um, yeah, it, it can definitely be hard. I would say it's, a, it's important to really look at uh, the, the actual manufacturer's descriptions of what it is that they do. What are some of the, the things, I mean, they talk about refrigerators that will tell you when you're out of milk, or you talked about the dryer telling you that the clothes are dry and you don't, you don't have to run up and down the stairs um, a zillion times. There's lots of different things. Now, I would think that emergency assistance and all of those things could be very useful for consumers to be on the positive side. And consumers have to make the choice of whether or not they want to trade some of their privacy for the the ease of use of many of these devices. Now, are you seeing any one particular of the three types that we talked about? Are you seeing that one of them is penetrating the market more than the other? Is it the always ready one that seems to have, or do you know, do you know that answer? Well, uh, I don't know that one is in the market more than the other, but I, I am seeing that more and more devices that used to be manual, the kinds of things with buttons mm-hmm. and switches, are now becoming voice activated. But okay. primarily because more people want that. I mean, mm-hmm. in a lot of contexts, it is really, really useful. Think about when you're in the kitchen cooking and you want to hear a recipe and you don't want to like get up and touch the thing, or when you're driving and you don't want to divert your attention from the road, it's very good to be able to speak directions to your entertainment center mm-hmm. in your car without having to divert your attention. Right. So, you know. Like, I, yes, like I use Bluetooth in my car so I can talk to my phone. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, but let me ask you, and we only have a couple of minutes. I know there are many legal ramifications to this. Could these devices and what they record be used and compelled to be presented in a court of law if there's a lawsuit of some sort? If, if you break in and murder your friend or something? And, and I mean, I'm being got a security facetious. Camera but yeah, yeah, I would say yeah, that's, that's going to come into play. Um, data that, that is collected, as long as it's kept and collected and tied to your name, is something that later could become accessible. So it's mm-hmm. very important to really think about what kinds of things are being collected and when they're being collected and and how they're being retained by the company. Um, In an ideal situation, it really shouldn't be a trade-off. A lot of these really great services and new devices rely on data in order Mm -hmm. to function and in order to provide new and interesting things. That's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons that speech recognition has become so good in the last couple of years. 
but that it shouldn't necessarily come at the expense of privacy. And then the way to strike that balance is for companies to give you control over the data that you have and allow you to access it and delete it and, I like and really the delete know part. Mm-hmm. what exists, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's where we're headed, I think. Okay. Stacy. it's been fascinating. You certainly give us a lot to think about. And, of course, some exciting things are on the horizon in terms of devices that are going to become available to us. But we just have to weigh the, the pros and the cons and figure out which fits best into our lives. So, anyway, thank so. you so much. I've so thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Thank you. Okay, and it, and it's she's uh, my guest has been Stacy Gray. She's the policy counsel for the future future of privacy forum. And again, Stacy, it was fascinating. I am just I like my devices, but you know I also like my privacy. Thank you, and thank you, listeners, for joining us. I'm Shirley Rooker. Call for action right here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.